Praise the Lord. You're going to live a long and happy life. Do you believe that? Long and prosperous life is what God promises you. A long and prosperous life. Praise God. Well, I want to share some more things with you all tonight. So get your Bibles out. Go, if you would, to the book of Luke chapter 10. Let's start reading verse 1. Luke 10, 1. It says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before the face unto every city and place where he himself was about to go. Now, let me ask you something. How many apostles did Jesus have? Right? And then one fell off and they brought another one in, right? But he had 12, right? 12 apostles. Okay, there's always been a teaching that, that, you know, God anointed Jesus and his 12 apostles to go about and do healing and miracles and signs and wonders to, to, to promote that Jesus was the Son of God. But here's 70. Everybody say 70. So 70 other people. So there wasn't 70 apostles, there was 12 apostles. All right? And it says that he appointed them. If you go look up that word appoint... It means a point. That's what it means. I mean, you go look it up, go look up the Greek on it. It means that he said, uh, you, 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 and you. You, 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 and you. He appointed them. Didn't say that he highly exalted them. Doesn't mean that he, that he you know, put a special anointing on them or anything. He appointed them, said, you go, you go out here. And this is what he told them to do. He said, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors unto the harvest. Now go your way, and behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag or knapsack nor sandal, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. You know, I asked the Lord one time, I'm kind of sidetracking here. You'll have to get me back on track here in a minute. Ask him one time, I said, why did, you say, why did you say you don't talk to anybody on the road? You know, I mean, you should have been friendly and you're walking down the road. It seemed like it would have been people to get. And he said, because I told them to go do something. They were headed to a de destination. They had a purpose. All right? Go to that city. Go to that city. Don't spend any time. Don't get sidetracked over here left and right. Go do what I told you to do. But whatever house you enter, first say peace into this house. And if a son of peace is there... Your peace will rest on it. Now, another side note. Isn't it interesting that he said you could go? You would, have, you would carry something that you could disperse in someone else's home. Right? You would have a tangible, for lack of better words, anointing, which if you go look up the word anointing and you really look at what does it mean, it means to smear all over. Truthfully, the word anointing, we always think about anointing oil, you know, in this sacred holy service, but it literally means to take them and smear it all over them, to take like Vaseline oil and smear it completely, lather them up. That's what it means. It means grease them up like a pig, you know? So it says you have something, you have this anointing that you can carry into a house and that it's going to leave peace in that house. When you go in there, there's, there's an aura following you. 
So in a reverse look, you remember Charlie Brown? You remember Pigpen? Right? You remember how they always had, had him drawn and he had the little dust cloud always around him? He had the little dust cloud. Okay, well, this is in the reverse form. You're going everywhere you go. You have this anointing around you. You have this, this presence of God around you. You have this peace this, uh, uh, to go into a place and, and you, can, you can have peace released into this place. Remain in such a house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat such things as is set before you. Verse 9. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Okay, this whole time I've been talking, I've been trying to tear down all the, the misconceptions and myths about about divine healing and about, about everything that, that, that is, we're full of doubt with and all the wrong teaching that's been in here. But when you look at this, he says, look, go and say, go into this house, and then everybody around you that's sick, just heal them. Now, you remember we talked about this before, that it was always strange to me that Jesus was going to church and somebody would get healed and nobody got mad that somebody got healed, nobody questioned that somebody got healed, nobody saying that they were just mad because he did it on the Sabbath. But the poor guy gets healed and nobody cares, right? The lady comes in with, you know, spirit of infirmity on her. She's all humped over and she gets healed. Nobody says anything about her. The man with the withered hand, nobody's up and rejoicing. saying, whoo, 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 man, the guy got healed. Look at this. Ah, miracle happened, miracle happened. But they were all mad because he was working on the Sabbath. Well, what was church? What did the preacher do? Did that not count? I work on the Sabbath. I don't know. Anyway, that's, that is another whole deal yeah but the point is he said go into the house and, and heal them and then say to them you've come near the kingdom of god in other words you're seeing a manifestation of what heaven's like wow i've said this so many times nobody's going to go to heaven and been looking for a hospital nobody in their wildest imagination believes that the hospitals are going to be nicer when we get to heaven Nobody even has that thinking in their, in their brain. Because when you get to heaven, everything's going to be perfect. God's going to be there. You don't think of sick people, right? That's not in your con concept of heaven. So he said, okay, when you go into the house, just heal everybody there and then say to them, <clears throat> this is what heaven's like. Kingdom of God's come near you. This is what the kingdom of God does. It has healthy people in it. Our minds should be so formed that we notice and recognize anything that doesn't look like is the kingdom of God. I mean, we, we can see it. That isn't the kingdom of God. That's not God. That isn't what is in the kingdom. It's like I've told you before. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm glad we're a non-denominational church. We love all denominations, whatever. I love Christians. I don't care much for denominations. I love Christians. I love people that love Jesus. But there's some, there's, I mean, you can find mean Christians in any denomination. And I just look at that and say, that ain't the kingdom of God. Something's gone wrong with that one. Doesn't mean that the whole denomination's bad, but I'm just saying that one, something's gone wrong. They're mean. God's not mean. God's not ugly. God's not condemning. God's not uh, you know, this is not the this is the age of the dispensation of grace. It's not the age of the of the dispensation of wrath. That's coming someday, but it ain't today, right? 
And so our Christians should be loving, should be caring, should be sweet, should be nice, should be it. It blesses me so much when, when I, I've gotten letters from visitors that came to church and say, we just loved your church. The minute we walked in the door, we just felt love. And I'm like, that's what it's all about, man. If we can do that, I don't care what the preaching sounds like, what anything else sounds like. People can come into church and feel love, right? That to me means everything because they're feeling God because God is love, right? That's the kingdom. So we should always be, we should be attuned to it. And we should be looking for things that are of the kingdom, things that are not of the kingdom, then we should stay away from. So part of what he's saying the kingdom is, is healing. We should expect healing. We should go to church expecting people to be beheld. We should be going to church expecting people to just have arthritis and just to leave their body, have diabetes just to be gone. Just come to church and get under the, 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 the hose washer of the Holy Ghost and just go out clean. That's what we should be expecting. That's why I keep saying we've got another wrong thinking because we say, oh, we need a miracle. Well, we should just be living in if the let the world call it a miracle, but we should call it the kingdom of God. It should be a natural everyday occurrence for us to be talking with our heavenly father, finding peace, finding mercy, finding grace, finding healing, finding prosperity. We should, it should be what's in the part of the kingdom. You know. And, and I'm always so amazed at the goodness of God. And I told you at the first of the year, you know, we were talking about buying this property in Kenya and doing all this deal. And so, you know, I looked at it. It's like, oh, you know, we're going to start the first of the year, the big whack, Lord. I mean, we could, you know, dally it around a little bit here, you know, or something and, you know, spread it out a little bit more. You know, we're just going to jump in there. But I knew it was God. And, and I got to laughing at myself saying, I don't believe that God turned to Jesus and said, man, we need to do this project over here. But, you know, where are we going to we're going to have to take out a loan for this one or something. I mean, we've got any part of heaven we can mortgage and see if we can get enough money to get this thing done. Or You know, they weren't worried about it. They, they're not, the streets in heaven are gold. They're not paved. There's a difference. Underneath that pavement outside there on that highway is Caliche, right? They're solid gold. They're going gold deep, right? He's not worried about finances. He's not worried about money. He's not worried about sickness if he can raise Jesus from the dead. If he's accustomed to bringing dead people back to life, if he made us out of dirt, I'm sure he can fix it. But it's us holding back. It's us holding back saying, you know, oh, that seems like it's so big. Oh, it's, so, it's, it's a monster. You know, it's so big. Because we've been beat down so long that our, con our, our concepts have gotten so squashed and squashed that we're literally believing that the enemy and the, what this world system has is bigger than the world. I was in a situation the other day, and I was thinking, I was driving home, and I was praying about it, and, 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 and uh, Daniel Lyons didn't just popped in my head. I don't know what, you know, just, just popped in there. Daniel 6. And, and I was thinking about that, and I thought, Lord, I wonder how Daniel felt at the edge of the pit. You know, did he have apprehension? This is what I was thinking as I was going down the road. Did he have apprehension? Like, oh, God, I hope you're going to do something. As he's looking, at the you know, right? I mean, you know, sometimes you know how you fantasize? Not fantasize. Uh, that's not quite the word I want. Uh, you know, and when you're imagining something and, you, you know, you put a religious twist to it, you know, and Daniel goes to the lines, and, oh, do, do, you know, and go, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or was he like, 
you know, sliding in the gravel as you go there. Oh, Lord, God, help do something, you know. I don't know. We want to say he just walked up there. So I went and I read the story. And I was looking at the story, and, and he goes up to the lion's den, and it's really interesting when you read the story of the way he says it. He goes to the lion's den, and, and the king is more worried than Daniel is. And the whole story, he's more worried about losing him. And so he's like, oh, Daniel, maybe your, your God will save you, whatever. And, and, and the words that Daniel say, it just rung confidence in my heart. It's like he just walked up there and said, you know, don't worry, king. My God's going to protect me. My God's going to deliver me. And then I got to wonder, of course, I'm just always imagining these things. Like, was it a pit? I mean, you've got lines down there. You want to be pretty deep, right? I think. You wouldn't want the line to jump out unless there was a fence around it. Y'all with me? So then they said he threw him into the lion's den. So did he actually get thrown down? I thought, I wonder how far it was. I wonder if it hurt when he hit the ground, you know? And so I was thinking of all these things because I was imagining, I don't even want to jump out of the back of my truck and they're like, get in the lion's den. I'd be like crawling down the rocks, you know, like you got a rope or something, you know? <laughs> it's going to hurt my heel if I jump on it wrong. And so anyway, I was imagining all this. I'm getting way off the story here, but and I was looking at the confidence he had in him because Daniel knew God. He prayed three times a day, it says. He was always worshiping God. He knew the Spirit of God. He, he, he was different. He had, a, he had a presence about him that, that uh, from a young boy that everything that he did, you know, and he just went up there and he got in there. So the next morning, the king, you know, he doesn't sleep. He runs out there to get the deal off to see if, oh, Daniel, is your God protected you? And Daniel's like, yeah, we just spent a night down here, these smelly cats, you know, they... Angels shut their mouth, you know, and everything's cool. Get me out of here. And then the other ones get thrown in there, the, you know, the, the Yahoos and the Yahoos and the Yazoos. They get thrown in, and then the lions just eat them up. But see, we don't expect that. Because we've walked through this, this world. Daniel walked through the world just like we did. But we've been, we've been, we get indoctrinated. That's the word I'm looking for. We get indoctrinated to doubt and unbelief. We get indoctrinated to believe that we're just going to have to suffer through it because we keep getting, bringing back up in our memories so-and-so, this and that, and all we've seen is a church like, you know, church. Right? Everybody just trying to stay awake, go through church. You do it because it's your duty and you're supposed to be a Christian and then... Only thing they really got faith in is dying and going to heaven. But oh, what kind of Christians we would be if the same faith that we had that when we die we're going to go to heaven is that the kingdom of God is following us around and everywhere we go the sick are going to get well because it's the principle of the kingdom of God. And what I'm saying to you is that through all these teachings, through everything I've been going through for weeks and weeks and weeks, we have to change our understanding. We have to expect that God is the kingdom of God is going to follow us. If you want to call it miracles, call it miracles. But we have to believe that God's kingdom is coming in our life because we are sons of God. We are born again. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. We're right with God. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Right? We're blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's who we are. You may look like the other person, but you're an alien. You don't belong to this earth. You belong to heaven. You've got to start changing your thinking that you are empowered by the spirit of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, the spirit of God lives on the inside of you. Are y'all following me? You've got to, you've got to, you've got to stir yourself 
to get over that hump of doubt and unbelief. Wrong teaching, wrong things that we didn't start praying for the Holy Ghost. Show me what's wrong. Show me where my thinking's wrong. Show me what's going on. He will. Okay, so let's go over here a little further. Actually, I got a lot further. Okay, so he says, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say the very dust of your city, which clings to us, will wipe off against uh, against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. So no matter how you want to cut it, the people you want to minister to are the ones that want it. Jesus told his own disciples, if they don't want it, dust the dust off your feet and go find the ones that do. Don't get upset when someone doesn't want it. Right? And see, I believe Christians, we've approached this wrong. All right. Just think about this for a minute. We want to start a church and then do something that's so whatever that then people would come to the church. But would it not make more sense to appoint 70 to go to town to town, finding out who's hungry and the one that's hungry, you're going to see the kingdom of God move. Alexa was telling me about a friend of his that got on the podcast and started listening to the podcast, and he listened to a year's worth of podcast in five weeks? A year's worth of podcast in five weeks. And my answer back to him was, that's one hungry dude. To listen to that many messages in five weeks, a year's worth. Well, that guy's the guy that can see the kingdom of God moving because he's hungry. The one you're trying to get to say, well, I don't have time to listen to that. I ain't got time. You know, I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm busy working. Around. You're not going to get anything out of him. Jesus said, expect it. It's just going to be, if Jesus is saying that, then why are you amazed that somebody doesn't want to receive the gospel or doesn't want to do godly things or walk in godly things or know more about God or want to, is hungry for God? I mean, but I can tell you right now, there are people that are hungry for God. And most of them, the reason why they're hungry for God, are in dire straits. Right? If you think back about your own life, most of us came to know Jesus because we were in dire straits. Right? So the people we should be looking for are not the ones that are happy going down the road. I mean, there might be a happy person that's hungry. I don't know. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is the opportunities are where people are hungry. And a lot of times hurting people are hungry. So he says, look, don't get upset that they're not hungry. Just dust the dust off your shoes. Don't just go on. Find the next bunch. Don't worry about it. Just find the next bunch. Get Go with them. Go with them and go down there. Okay. So you can go look it up. Mark 6, 4 was, is, this, is the scripture where Jesus went into Nazareth and he said he couldn't do any miracles there, but just heal a few sick folk because of their unbelief. So Jesus himself had to go out, dust his feet off because his own hometown of Nazareth wouldn't receive him. So if they wouldn't receive the Son of God who raises people from the dead, heals people all over the place, and you're going to get upset because somebody didn't accept it from you? 
Just find the one that's hungry. Our real job to be harvesters of the kingdom of God is to find hungry people. And when we find hungry people, show them the kingdom of God and go on. And the person you tried once that wasn't hungry then may be hungry at another time. And you go back. But we're to be looking. We're, we should be praying for God to give us eyes to see hungry people. It's amazing. I've been so amazed in life at how, it, it, you know, it just it, God can open up doors and make appointments and do things in life that I run across hungry people if I'm just willing to look for hungry people. You know, all of us, we get too busy. We're too busy about life that we don't recognize the hungry ones. All right? So let me read on a little bit here. So he goes on and he says, Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near you. And then he goes on and he starts talking about these cities. He said, man, let me just read it. Uh, but I say to you that it would be more tolerable in the day for Sodom and Gomorrah than uh, for that city. Woe for you, Corazon, woe for you, Bethesda, for the mighty works which had, done, had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Okay, so in other words, there's cities and regions or places that the people may be hungrier, that if what was going over here didn't affect that group, but if that would have gone over there, it would have affected more of a, a deal, right? Okay. But it would be more tolerable for the tyrants. Da, 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 da. And you in Capernaum, who uh, exalted to heaven, you would be brought down to Hades. Verse 16. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects him, who sent me. So Jesus says, man, if they're not going to listen to you, they wouldn't listen to me. That's powerful. He's saying you're speaking and talking about the kingdom of God is as if I'm speaking and talking to them about the kingdom of God. You say, oh, well, Jesus could have done it more eloquently than I or whatever. No, no, no. It doesn't have anything to do with it. Because it's not about you. It's about that anointing around you that's touching people, not your eloquent speech. Not your, your great presentation. Years and years and years ago, seems like an eternity ago, when I was a youth pastor here at the church, they were going to do a youth meeting over in Uvalde, and so they asked me to come speak. And I was so excited, man. I just knew I was just, and this is just going to be the, the, the I just knew it was going to be just the revival. This was the day it was going to come. The town was going to turn. Everything was going to glory. I was going to win all the kids in the world. And uh, we went to this thing. It was not really many kids. There about 20. And so I was a little discouraged. I was like, I don't know, man. I want to preach like, you know, wildfire. And you remember this? And I went over there. <laughs> it was off some backwood place. And in the middle of me preaching, two dogs get under a fight, in a fight underneath the trailer house and just go to ripping into each other and fighting and dust coming out from underneath the thing. And I was like, it's killing my message, man. I mean, I was, I'm getting ready to send these dogs fighting. I thought to myself, man, what an... What a humble beginning. <laughs> I was dreaming of the great revivals and the tent meetings and all this, and I've got a dog fighting in there, 20 kids, and they just want to eat pizza. I'm about to throw down and give up myself and just go eat pizza, you know? <laughs> yeah, so humble beginnings, but, you know, but God. Okay, so then it says, the 70 returned with joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So he said to them, I saw Satan fall from 
like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing should by any means hurt you. Wow. So just imagine that Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. So in Satan's uprising, that he rose up in heaven to do that, Jesus said it was all over within a split second. Like There was no battle. There was no announcer announcing it. And he's on, you know, looks like someone's going to go ahead. No, no, he's going to go ahead. No, 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 no. It was over with. Okay? Now, the people were amazed that demons are subject to them. All right? So that throws in a whole nother wrinkle, which I'll get to later on. But the bottom line is these are just common people out. These are not the apostles. These were common people that Jesus said, you just go out and do it. And we're going to see great things happen. Okay, now flip the page if you've got a page like mine. And go over here to 30, verse 30. So the story of Good Samaritan. It says, and a certain man went down from Jericho to, Jer- to, from, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. And a certain Samaritan, as he was journeyed, came uh, where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend when I come, again I will repay you. And of which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, And he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Well, then go and do likewise. So we've, you know, we've all heard great preachings on Good Samaritan, but the point I want to show you here is, who did the Samaritan minister to? The guy who's hurting there. There was an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God from the first guy that passed. There was an opportunity for the kingdom of God to come to the second guy who passed. But the point is, when the Samaritan, all he did was stop and render aid to somebody that was hurting and in need. And the kingdom of God came upon that man. Right? So the people you need to be looking for are those that come across your path that you see. So many, so many times people, you know, we get saved, we get excited, we get stirred up. We, you know, you're wanting to, you know, go from just got saved to... Oral Roberts in a week, right? Because, I, I mean, I was the same thing. I remember when I got saved, I was just so excited, man, we were going everything. But then I got this, I read this article about Ethiopia, you know, and I just got convinced that God was going to send me to Ethiopia. And, I, and I just, the, everything I watched about Ethiopia was just flies everywhere, you know? I, I just grossed me out. And they always have flies, swishing flies away. And I was like, man, dear God, that's going to be rough in Ethiopia, you know? And I remember one night going out, standing on my porch and looking up the stars. And I said, Lord, man, are you going to send me to Ethiopia? I, I don't know if I can make it in Ethiopia, Lord. And I, just as clear as a bell, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, what would you tell them you don't know anything? And I was like, I mean, I'm talking about I've been saved for like two weeks, you know? And I was like... That's right. I, I probably ought to read my Bible and know a little more for you're going to send me as a missionary to Ethiopia. I don't know nothing, you know. 
So I was like, okay, we're not going over there. But every one of you people in here, you know a lot. You know a lot. You've been through a lot. You've seen God get you through things. You have seen miracles. You have seen God moving. You've seen the kingdom of God. Y'all know a lot. You may not think you know a lot, but you know a lot compared to the world. Right? So then it's time to start looking with eyes to see who's a Samaritan you can care for and help. And folks, it doesn't take much to help somebody that's hurting. Well, if they were really needed something, they'd call me. Well, you know, it's not the best attitude in the world because you had to kind of go be the Samaritan that goes over there, right? So let me give you a couple more scriptures. So you may say, well, you know, I don't know if God really has called me. Go to 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal peace priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who have obtained mercy, and now you have obtained mercy. I've told you all this before, but the first time I ever went to preach in the, in the jails, and I was going over there, I knew I had to go by myself, and I, I, I was going in there to preach, and, and I was really nervous, and I was thinking, oh gosh, you know, all the responsibilities on me, Lord, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, and I remember I thought, man, I got, you know, one thing, I got to be, be, be good to lead somebody in a sinner's prayer, you know, and, I mean, this is early days, and I was like, gosh, I need to know how to lead somebody in a sinner's prayer, I better write it down, you know, so I went in there, and I started writing out the sinner's prayer, so I'd have it stick in my Bible, so if I just froze up, I could at least read it, and so I started writing this thing out two pages later. I looked at it and I thought, okay, I've gone a little overboard here, you know, a two-page sinner's prayer. Everybody gets given and I repeat after me, you know, 10 minutes later, amen, you know. But <laughs> but the point is, is that God has already appointed y'all. He's already called you. You're his own special chosen people. And what are you going to tell them? What God's done for you? Because I remember the Holy Ghost stopped me and said, brother, why don't you just tell them how you got saved? And for just, man, I'm telling you, I bet a year, I would go into the jails, I would stand there, they'd throw everybody out, they'd all be looking at me like, you know, like, who's this idiot? And I'd say, hey, I just want to talk to you guys for a minute. Uh, uh, can you just give me just a little bit of your time here? I, I, I'm, the, I'm a preacher from over in Utopia, and I just want to tell you all how I got saved. You know, I was, and I'd just go through my testimony. I'd say, you know, I, this is where I was, and this is what happened to me, and Jesus did this, and Jesus came to mind, and he set me free, man. I love my wife, I love my kids, everybody loved me, I love everybody, everybody, everything's great. And many people just say, really? You can say, yeah, the Bible says right here. I just turned to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says right here, if you confess your mouth and believe in your heart, you can get saved too, just like me. Really? Yeah, come on up here, let's pray. <laughs> I did that for a year. I never preached a message. I just told my testimony. Went in there and just told my testimony, what Jesus has done for me. And people just get saved and just get saved and just get saved and lives would change. It was a miracle. I saw more amazing things in those years. Because I went there every Sunday for nine years. And I saw more amazing things happen of people that were, were in trouble. I'll never forget one time there was this young man in there. And uh, so I'm over in the detention center. Because I'd go to the detention center after I went to the jail. And so it was all the young people. And so he was in there. And he'd done something. And he was in trouble. And so I told my testimony. He just laughed at me. He laughed at me. 
And so, you know, of course, I was thinking, yeah, you you're lucky you're in here, boy. You go walk outside, boy. I'll show you what you're going to laugh about. And so then I was thinking, oh, God, I had to repent for that. It's a bad thought. You know, but anyway, so about a year later, I'm in the county jail, and I look up, and there's that kid. Now he's gone. He's, 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 you know, his age is too much, and now he, whatever he did, now he's in the county jail. And I never forget, he said, oh, preacher. And he came running up to me, and he grabbed me. He said, oh, my God, pray with me. Oh, if I'd have prayed with you that day. If I had just prayed with you that day, I wouldn't be in here. There's rats in here. Oh, God, there's rats in this. And he was just freaked out. And I, was like, and I wanted to say, yeah, too late now, buddy. Ed Chase back here. You know, just sit here and suffer for a while. You know, sizzle, a little dangling doctrine, you know. Dangle them over the fire a little bit and then see if they'll get saved. But I had mercy, you know, and I prayed with him. But see, his heart was changed. Why? He wasn't ready then. He was ready that day. That was his today. That was his today. And he got saved. And I knew if I've ever seen anybody get saved, that kid got saved. Man, he crying out and he was wanting to get out of that. He's, he knew he had messed up. Right? But it was people that were hurting. There was, they were my Samaritans. I was going through that thing and I, that was my road to uh, my Samaritan's road. I was running across them. One time there was a guy in there. I know I'm going to see this guy in heaven. He's going to meet me at the gates. I just know it. I know this guy. This guy was the roughest, meanest looking human I'd ever seen in my life. And he had, never forget, he had Bob wire tattooed around his wrist. And this dude was, man, he, he was rough looking. And uh, so anyway, I started preaching. He just sat over there. And I kind of got the feeling that something was up when, you know, there was like 30 people out there that day. And 29 of them were crammed in this corner. And I'm standing here, and the one guy's standing over there, and I'm like, mm, he must have a really bad reputation, you know? And so I was, I was going along. I found out I just couldn't stand any longer, and I just walked up to him, and I said, sir, I said, uh, I said would you like to pray? You, would you, you know Jesus? Would you like to pray? He looked at me. He said, son, he said, Jesus can't do nothing for me. He said, I've done too much. I said, oh, really? And so... I just reached in my Bible and I got hold of, you know, just a, a, some of the New Testament about the epistles. And I said, see the man that wrote this the man that wrote this right here. I said, that man was a murderer. And his name, the Apostle Paul now, and he got saved. God changed his life. And I said, God will forgive you for what you've done. And he said, and he said, ah, he wouldn't forgive me. And I said, well, if he'd forgive Paul for murder, he'll forgive you for murder. And when I said that, and he threw his head up like, I mean, apparently he had. And I just, I didn't know. I just said it. And he's like, he'd really forgive me? And I said, yes, I'll forgive you right now if you want to pray. And man, tears came down that guy's eyes. And he just fell down on his knees right there. And I grabbed his hand and we prayed. And if I've ever seen a person totally change, the, I mean, the, 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 the glory just, rose up like from his feet over his body and he just is like a brand new different human being and I look back and all those others were all standing there like what's going on here it's going to kill the preacher you know but I, what did I do it's just me Robert Richards it wasn't that I was some great pulpiteer because I wasn't I didn't have any experience I was just telling people my testimony telling people what God did and look what he did and he just keeps doing it and he just keeps doing it and he just keeps doing it that's the attitude we have to have the kingdom of God is always with us wherever we're going it doesn't make any difference he's gonna move if you'll move 
You don't move, he ain't going to move. Because you're what he moves through. You're the chosen generation. You're the royal priesthood. You're the ones that God has anointed to do it. First John 2 and 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You are already anointed. Everybody say, I'm anointed. You done been smeared with Jesus. Smeared all over. Greased down with the Holy Ghost. So don't let the devil beat you up. Don't let the devil put you down. Everywhere you go, man, kingdom of God's with you. You don't have to have some ordination paper say that you can go pray for people. You don't have to have some, some dispensation from the church to go do this. You just got to be you who got saved and know Jesus. Listen, and another thing I've learned in life is you don't have to have an answer for everything going on. Your answer is, uh, you need to talk to Jesus. <laughs> the good thing about this, get saved, then you have an open line to heaven, you pray, you find out, it'll be okay. I remember one time I just started out pastoring that I had a couple, uh, they're not here, so I'm trying to think about who it is, they're gone a long time ago, but uh, they came in to counsel with me, and, and I got so depressed listening to them, I had to go lay down on the couch. And all I could pray was, God, I don't have anything to say to these people. This is, I don't know what to say. I said, y'all just talk it out for a minute. I'm going to go over and lay down. I said, man, this is bad. It's real bad. Ain't got no answer for this. Can't even come up with anything. I can't even tell you, go home, read your Bible. I don't know what to say. And in a minute, I mustered myself up, talked myself, and got my faith going. When I went and sat down, I said, look, we're going to have to start somewhere, okay? Read your Bible, dear Lord, something. But my point is, you don't have to have an answer for everything. Just go where hungry people are, where hurting people are. Let the kingdom of God come out of you. Touch them, and then get them where they need to be. Amen? Amen. So look at the person beside you and say, you know, you can do it. And just know, the kingdom of God's with you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, praise God.